Good morning, church. Don't you love the Christmas music? It's one of my favorite parts of the holidays. Um, I love the Christmas music so much that I can't listen to it the day after Christmas. It makes me sad. Anybody like me? In fact, I can't listen to Christmas music till after Thanksgiving because I don't want to cheat on Thanksgiving. So then that means my season of Christmas music is pretty tight. So I have my playlist going continually. Anybody have your own playlist for Christmas? Well, send me anything good. I'd love to, I'd love to add them to mine. What I've noticed in the last couple of years, though, is I have been adding songs that actually speak a bit to the sorrow for those who are hurting at Christmas time. Songs that speak, again, to those who are experiencing sadness at Christmas. You know, not all Christmas songs are merry and bright, are they? Um, There's a classic that I just added to my list this season, and it's I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet, their songs repeat of peace, you know this one, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells are ringing like a choir, they're singing, and my heart I hear them, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Like Henry Longfellow, the writer of this song, has there been a time in your life when peace on earth just didn't ring true? Maybe it was even a Christmas season. Maybe it's this season. Have you ever been so crushed by the devastation of sin and suffering that you didn't really recognize who you were anymore? You didn't know where you belonged. A chapter of sorrow so overwhelming, you thought God had forsaken you. Maybe it's the devastation of harm done to you by another. Suffering so profound that you don't recognize yourself. Maybe it's the devastation of your actions done to another and the ongoing consequences and harm. Maybe it's devastated by life in a broken world. You struggle. Where are you, God, in the despair that I see around me? Angie came to me as her counselor and her friend. She had suffered years of marital lies, sexual betrayal, and abuse. And she asked me to help her find faith, to believe that she still belonged to God. But she warned me, please don't quote the words of David in Psalm 34, that God is close to the brokenhearted. She said, I can't find comfort in David's psalms because he is a man who took another man's wife and then killed that man to cover it up. So Anzi's journey of healing would not begin with the words of God through David in the psalms, but her healing journey would include the work of God in the lives of people like Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah that David took. How can the devastated be restored to a place of knowing they are loved by God? How do we find the faith to believe that we still belong to God, that he has not forsaken us? Today we'll be looking at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where we'll find the life of Bathsheba and the love of God that comes through devastation. 
In our Christmas series, as Danny mentioned, we have been discovering the hope, peace, joy, and love of Christmas through the scandalous stories surrounding women, mothers in the line of Christ. We've looked at Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and then today we have Bathsheba. Listed in Matthew's genealogy as the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba is a victim of sin and suffering so profound, we might all wonder if God has forsaken her. So if you find yourself needing to know you still belong to God, the faith to believe you are loved by God, I'm praying that God will meet us through his word today. He will meet us in the life of Bathsheba so that we might see that for the betrayed who belong to God comes the assurance that we are, in fact, loved by God. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 11. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14 and 26 to 27. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the, wife, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And in the letter he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting. Then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. Jumping to verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David had come and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Word of God, speak. Would you bring your closeness to us by your spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. This account is particularly shocking when we know its context. This is the reign of King David. As Pastor Danny said, a man after God's own heart. 
It's a time when God's people appeared to have it all. They had the law of God, the land. They had the king they always wanted. Surely David's reign was going to bring God's kingdom on earth, his righteousness, his justice, his peace, his unfailing love. It would be a light to the surrounding dark nations. Then we have 2 Samuel 11. A scandal so significant that God's kingdom and his king are never the same. It unravels. And God wants us to know why. The reason why is because one who belonged to God is betrayed by God's King David. This is the first thing we want to see from this text is that Bathsheba belonged to God and his kingdom. If you're a note taker, that's your first fill-in. Bathsheba belonged to God and his kingdom. She's living in Jerusalem, the capital city of God's holy people. Bathsheba is one of God's treasured people. She's the wife of Uriah, an elite fighting man. She's the daughter of Eliam, one of David's loyal, mighty men who protected David's life. David knew Bathsheba's family, and he had blatant disregard for Bathsheba as one that God loved and his people loved. He abused his authority as God's king, and he takes Bathsheba. This is no seduction scene. This is no sordid affair. This is sexual exploitation. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, David sent, he took, he lay. The royal deed of self-indulgence doesn't take very long. There is no conversation. There is no hint of caring, of affection, of love, only lust. David does not call her by name, does not even speak to her. The telling verb in this passage is he took her. And isn't took the telling verb when somebody sins against us? When we are sinned against, something is taken from us. And we struggle to believe that we are still treasured by God. Why would he allow it? How much more devastating is it when we are sinned against by, the, by people who are given God's authority to protect us, to love us, to care for us, when those we trust for God's protection violate our trust and instead bring evil into our lives? Our lives are never the same, like pregnant Bathsheba. Discovering Bathsheba is pregnant, David remains heartless, murderously so. When Uriah won't sleep with his wife and participate in David's cover-up, the baby cannot be passed off as Uriah's. And so what does David do? He sends Uriah back into the battle with his own death warrant, carrying his own death warrant for being honorable, for being faithful to God and country, Uriah dies, as do many others. Bathsheba mourns, and the Hebrew here is to wail. It is to lament. And so do many wives and families devastated by David's sin. And where is God in Bathsheba's devastation? as she and so many are suffering now at the hands of his king, David. Is God really near the brokenhearted? How about among us who are suffering in this room? Those of us in this room who have been harmed by the many different faces of evil, 
Statistically, sadly, the church is no different than the world. 35% of us are experiencing the effects of domestic abuse, physical, sexual violation by a family member, a spouse, a partner. Those entrusted with our good, those of us who have been betrayed in this room, in the workplace, by a boss or supervisor we thought was looking out for us, And worst of all, those of us who have been violated by a spiritual leader who used God's name to do what is evil in his sight. While maybe not at these levels, my guess is every one of us has experienced our trust being violated by somebody, and we know the brokenheartedness of having our trust violated. These are moments when there is no peace on earth when we hang our head in despair. Where is God in these devastations? Where is he in the devastation of Bathsheba? As David takes Bathsheba to be his wife, God is far from indifferent. God calls it out. God sees the victimization and comes near to call it evil. The Lord considered what David did to be evil. And God doesn't stop there. God doesn't stop at just seeing and calling it out. The story doesn't end there. Bathsheba was betrayed by God's king, but she will not be betrayed by God's kingdom. God will send into his kingdom his prophet to not just call it out, but to do more. Look at 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 10. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. And from his meager food, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink. And in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. Nathan is speaking for God, and God is speaking for Bathsheba. Notice how God emphasizes David's cruelty how David violated a loving relationship between a husband and wife, how he treated as trash 
one Uriah treasured. David's fury over a lamb is nothing compared to God's fury over Bathsheba, his lamb. Do we know this when we're victimized? That nobody is more angry than God. I anointed you, God says to David. I delivered you, and I did this for you to treasure my people, to shepherd my people, to show my loving kindness. Emphasized here and in Matthew's genealogy, Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah. That is very intentional. We must be careful not to read into the story any blame that God does not give to Bathsheba. He gives her none. God calls out what is clear by both worldly standards and biblical definitions. What David did was evil aggression, sexual exploitation. God is angry at David's abuse of power. And David agrees. When we look at Psalm 51, David's psalm of repentance, he says, For I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you and you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right to pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. David uses every possible word in the Hebrew language for sin and evil. He heaps it on. He anguishes over the recognition that the evil that he did was towards Bathsheba. I remember as an early Christian reading this passage being kind of frustrated when David said, I sinned against you and you alone. I'm like, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? To me, at first, it sounded like David was minimizing what he did, but he's actually maximizing what he did. He's saying that whatever sin I commit against another, I am committing it against God because they are made in his image and God feels the weight and the pain of my sin done to another. God is the lover of Bathsheba's soul. She is his treasured daughter. Since the garden, sin has always been against God. Again, because it's against those who are made in his image. We see it throughout the Old Testament that how we treat the vulnerable is how we treat God himself. Jesus says later that whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me. God experiences the pain that we inflict on each other. Sin destroys both sufferers and sinners. It dehumanizes all of us. And so God is not indifferent to Bathsheba, and he's not indifferent to David either. In Psalm 51 and 52, we find out that while David is trying to do this cover-up, while he's hiding his sin, God's hand is heavy on him. His bones are crushing His strength is dried up. Nathan's confrontation, beautifully done, amazing, is God's love. It's a reminder to David of who he belongs to, because David, too, has forgotten who he belongs to. And where David failed as king to bring God's righteousness, justice, peace, his unfailing love to the kingdom, David now has a chance to bring God's mercy God's forgiveness, and God's grace on earth. See, both Bathsheba and David need a much better king. The promise of God to his people, the promise he gave to David just a few chapters before, 
that through David, he would establish an eternal throne of justice, that through David, he would bring one who would fulfill this plan, who would reign and bring peace on earth. Until then, seeing how close God is to brokenhearted Bathsheba, the length to which God would go, David dares to believe that maybe this God is also close to those who break hearts when they're repentant. And he's right. Remember my friend Angie? This is the repentance Andy needs. This is the kind of repentance Angie needed from her husband. Tragically, this was not his repentance. He did not agree with David. He did not see his lies, his sexual betrayal, his abuse of his wife as evil before the Lord. Instead, he made excuses, half-hearted apologies. Reconciliation was not possible because his bones weren't crushed. He didn't feel the weight. Reconciliation was not possible, and it was not God's plan. Angie is just one of the many brokenhearted lives I have watched walk through betrayal and seen the stunning love of God. Those who've been betrayed by a spouse, a parent, a spiritual leader, a trusted friend, women and men, each having something taken from them, not knowing where they belong or who they are. Some want to see their betrayer repent like David They want to see it so much they'll see repentance where it's not and they'll return to evil. Some don't want to see their betrayer repent. They fear any kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. They feel the weight and guilt of wishing that person would just simply die. Abuse is complicated and it's confusing. It is disorienting. To survive, we will blame ourselves. We cannot see clearly. We need Nathan's. For those of us who are suffering, who've been victimized, we need Nathans, people who remind us that we belong to God, that we belong to a God who is just, who is righteous, who is faithful, who is loving kindness, who is seeking our peace. From Bathsheba's story, God is not asking us to endure evil. Please hear me. From Bathsheba's story, God is not asking us to endure evil, the opposite. He is asking us as his people to call it out. For there is no hope for the sinner and there is no healing for the sufferer until we call it out as it is, as God sees it. And that is where hope comes for the sufferer, sinner, and and healing for the sufferer is when we first acknowledge that it is evil. A wound ignored is a wound reopened. To know God sees us, to find the faith to believe he still has a plan for our life, we will need wise friends who know God's word. We will need trained counselors, pastors. And as a church, we all get to be part of this. We all get to come alongside the brokenhearted to patiently walk with them through the confusion, to walk alongside these brokenhearted. On your outline, I've given you just a few resources. I have many more if you want to email me for resources. Let's be a church that does this. 
We do do a sermon review, and I cannot tell you how encouraged I was as we talked through this message to hear your pastors be outraged by what David did and be concerned for the brokenhearted in this room. See, many who abuse power like David did do not repent like he does, and so it makes things very complicated. But those who do repent like David, his repentance is quite stunning. Those who do repent like he does, they know the gospel. They know the love of God. They know the compassion of God like nobody else. David is radically changed, but his sin remains before him. He continues to see the consequences of what he did, and he continues to rely on the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. And of the many lives that were devastated by his actions, I find it beautiful how God focuses on Bathsheba, focuses on her suffering that now includes the death of this baby boy. Life is taken from Bathsheba a second time. First her husband, and now a baby. Why does God allow those who belong to him to suffer? How can Bathsheba move from knowing God sees her to having faith that he has, still has a plan for her life? While Bathsheba has never given the reasons as to why she suffered, we do know it is not because God stopped loving her. It is not because he had forsaken her. Look to the length he went for her to know that, to identify that Bathsheba's suffering is real and it is horrific. God calls it out, but he also makes sure that we know for our lives that her suffering is not meaningless. Her pain would be woven into the plan of God to save and bless the world. A devastation, oh, sorry, excuse me, a woman who should have been forgotten, is forever remembered in God's holy word and remembered for getting to participate in God fulfilling his promise to send a Savior to us all. Look at the last words of 2 Samuel 12. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and he sent a message to the prophet Nathan, who named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Bathsheba was beloved by God and his kingdom. She is comforted by the God who is closest to the brokenhearted. She receives the tenderness, the care, the affection, the love of God in giving her Solomon. Where one baby dies, God gives life and gives her a second son. To Bathsheba, who belonged to God, came the assurance that she is loved by God and the assurance that we are too. She names him Solomon, the Hebrew word for shalom, peace. She names him peace. And the Lord sends Nathan to reassure her that he is beloved of God. He's the one. He's the one. He will be in the line of the one that we've all been waiting for. Through Solomon, God would fulfill his promise to restore sinners and redeem suffering. Solomon was the promise of Christmas both of his parents needed, that this world needs the love of God that would come through his son, Jesus.
As one son dies and another lives, together they tell the story of Christmas. Together they tell the story of Jesus. Jesus is the son born to die so that you and I can be the one that lives. He is the beloved son forsaken for you and I to belong. He not only comes close to the brokenhearted, he is the brokenhearted in ways that we can never imagine. He becomes one of us, betrayed, forsaken, abused, crucified, his life taken from him willingly. This is the love of God for you and me, the brokenhearted, and those of us who break hearts. The genealogy of Jesus teaches us that the worst of sinners can be restored and the worst of suffering can be redeemed. It is not meaningless. To us who belong to God, Christmas is the assurance that we are loved by God. So where do we need this comfort this Christmas, this comfort and joy? Is it for what has been done to you? For those of us who've been victimized, will we ask for the faith to believe that Jesus is closest to us, the brokenhearted? While we may not be given reasons as to why we suffer, we can also know when we look to the cross, it isn't because God doesn't love us, that he has forsaken us. No, he gave us his son. And as Diane Langberg reminds us, Jesus has been in the darkness. He has known the loss of all things. He has been abandoned by his Father. He has been to hell for you and me. There is no part of any tragedy that he has not known or carried. He's been there before us, and he goes with us. Because he is with us, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, no suffering is ever meaningless. Maybe it's not for what's been done to us. Maybe, like David, it's what we've done to others. My guess is if we're honest, that's every one of us. We have done harm to others. And some of us are feeling the weight of it, the crushing, our strength dried up. Will we receive that as God's love, as his mercy? Will we ask for the faith to believe he is near the heartbreakers, looking to the sinless son betrayed for the insurance that we too belong to God, or if we are not believers yet, looking to the sinless son betrayed by the father to know we can belong to God through repentance and faith. When we do repent and turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus brings his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness on earth through our repentance. And then for all of us, for life in a broken world, we are in a season of Advent. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We await the return of a conquering king, the king we all need, who will return and reign with absolute justice, righteousness, unfailing love, peace on earth. As we wait, Let's walk alongside the brokenhearted. Those devastated in this season of joy. We can get to join Jesus 
and being near. My friend Angie found faith in the love of God through the work of God and people like Bathsheba and David's lives. She can pray the Psalms now because she knows God is nearest, not only to the brokenhearted, but also to those who break hearts and repent. And she writes her own Psalms now. She writes Psalms about belonging, about betrayal, as she still is working out the consequences and about being loved. And most importantly, Angie's life is a psalm as she now walks alongside others who are brokenhearted. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Pray with me. Jesus, how do we begin to even thank you for your first coming and being willing to be forsaken for us to belong? Give us the faith to look to you, to know that you are nearest to the brokenhearted and you are nearest to those who are suffering because they have broken hearts. Help us turn to you in faith as we await your return to set all things right. We pray in your name. Amen.